You're listening to Reckless Creatives, a Pipeline Artists original podcast, where Sadie Dean and Jeannie Villette Bowerman share the candid truth about the challenges and benefits of living life as artists. Jeannie, you look so good tonight. It is just you are so liar, 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 pants on fire. <laughs> but you know who looks really dapper? Who? Mario Marino. Look at this guy. I know. I was, you I was know, say your sights for sore eyes. I have to say, the three of us have known each other for at least a decade, and you weren't gray when we met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gray under this hair dye, let me tell you. Yeah, it's true. I don't know when it happened. It was kind of like a blink and and there it is. I don't know, but you pull it off, man. Like you do. You got good hair. Thank you. Well, knock on wood. Yeah, on I wood. found out that the balding <laughs> comes from the the maternal side, not the paternal side. And I'm like, uh, oh, crap. I don't know how we got old, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We will not be discussing. How old I'm turning? We will how old are you? How old are you turning? Shut up! We're not talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to assume that you're younger than we are. Yeah, I have gotten younger every year, and I don't know what happened to the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You know, I feel like with Mario here, we don't even need to record an intro later because he's like the original reckless and. I feel like we're back in the old days and this is it. So sorry, everyone. This is your intro. This is the intro. Mario is a legend in the screenwriting world. I've met more strangers in this industry that know Mario. You're right. Because of all the amazing things he's done in his career. I don't think you realize how, how many lives you've touched Mario as a as a mentor and a coach and just being you. Sadie, I just met somebody a couple months ago and she knows Mario. I met her in New York City and she knows Mario. Annalisa. Oh, I know Annalisa. Yes, yeah. exactly. She's awesome. Hello, so are you, but it's like, what the hell? Yeah, thank you both for saying that stuff. I I don't think of it that way. I mean, it's it's definitely nice to be appreciated. I totally savor it. But yeah, I do not ever imagine having much of an impact beyond like our insular community of creatives. Since we're not going to like record a formal intro because I've just declared it. (laughs) (laughs) Who has time for that? Mario, I'll tell you what I know about you because I don't prepare. So (laughs) (laughs) I know that it's Mario O. Marino. I know that because I remember the O middle initial and Mario has been like a screenwriter and he's done. I, I know there's projects you've worked on that didn't get produced that came super close. It's like, oh my God, the war stories, this like right there, right there. Something happens. Mm-hmm. And he's Bottom also a graffiti artist and a, a music. Former. Like with a, a spray can? Art- yeah, oh, yeah. Great yeah. This guy and is like, super cool. Mean streaks, all sorts of different uh, sandpaper on Metro bus windows is really good. Yeah. All all the tools. Not anymore. 
for all the people who can't see, my jaw is on the ground here for all the people who can't see. I didn't know this about you. Was this when you were working at the writer's store? You had to like release stress and paint all over everything. All over the walls. I don't know how many times I had to dip into our petty cash just to get paint to paint the walls every night after Mario left the store. It was like one step removed from like a baby with poop on the wall. Sadie was always cleaning <laughs> up after me. Really appreciate that, Sadie. Yeah. Also. Of course. Of and course. now you're a novelist. So let's, okay, before we get into all the whole big things, let's just talk, let's just tell us about your book. We're going to link to it in the show notes, everyone. Mm-hmm. The short of it is that Hilla is a story about an aspiring artist who's desperate to improve her life and the circumstances of it and thinks her ticket is winning a contest hosted by someone she idolizes. She is carrying the belief that she's willing to do anything to succeed, including Mm. die for her art. And the story in many ways becomes an exploration of her trying to really gauge how accurate that is and what she's willing to sacrifice to make it. And even beyond herself, who she's willing to sacrifice to make it. So that's a very kind of high level, non-detailed view of it. But that's really what it is about the core. It's what are we willing to do to achieve our dreams? And can we achieve our dreams and survive? And it's written in the style of an epic rap. Right. Which is like surprise. Not only is this just a very, you would think it's just a simple story, but the way that you present it in this book as this epic poem, which is also like a fun twist of on the Phantom of the Opera, it's just, you can't put down the book. Like, it's just impossible because it's just so good. And I, if I didn't know you, Mario, I would still say this. I've actually bought several for friends. It's like, you have to read this thing now. Well, I would like to say that um, I'm clearly not Sadie's friend because she did not buy me one. <laughs> no, we're not friends. We're family. I don't That's buy for true. family. I don't get shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I still owe you a Reckless Chris t-shirt, which I'm working on. Not really, but I I am. It's on the back of my, I wrote it down somewhere. (laughs) It's with your cup. It's with my cup. The note is in the cup and we moved and I can't find it. But I am like fascinated. But first of all, Sadie and I are huge fans of screen editors who do other things. You know, like Sadie's this killer musician. Hello, look at her guitars. Yeah. And then, and that covers up the fact that she's a bass player and a drummer. But the bass is the, just because I love that instrument so much. Is I'm always in awe of her bass playing. You know what else she does with those guitars? Kill. Crocodiles. <laughs> those are her weapons on the wall. Case one comes inside. <laughs> she's ready. All right. So back to you, because no one cares about us. I care. Um, I know you care. <laughs> That's why we have you on. <laughs> First of all, did you originally write this as a script or or was this always just this rap story? No, it was a script. It it was a, a script that just kind of came with, like stuck in traffic one day and and kind of almost came fully formed to me. Whatever was missing, I kind of blended like a nightmare I'd had since I was a kid of like being stuck in a theater with a killer, but not wanting to leave the theater for some reason. 
It was like not escaping the theater. It was like finding a way to stay in the theater. So that got mixed in with this concept of what if there was a killer who was taking out whack MCs, which was born out of the idea of being stuck in traffic in LA and thinking how many other screenwriters are like trying to get home right now to get work done and how many of them are good and what if the non-good ones were all wiped out? Would traffic be lesser in LA? And I think that was kind of like the original very dark um, seed of the idea. And and my wife, who's normally like, you know, very straightforward about this stuff and will tell me like, that idea doesn't sound great. This one, she was like, that could work. Uh, and it was immediately put into music. It was never going to be in the film industry, but it's obviously a metaphor for all that stuff. Uh, so it was written as a script. It was a finalist in Austin. I think we were hanging out there, Jeannie, when I was in the finals for it. Oh, okay. This was the one? This was the one. Yeah. And then uh, after after it Austin, like, I lost to Moon Zappa. Yeah. It's like, okay. 2016, what? maybe? 15? Something like that. 16, yeah. It yeah, goes yeah. back. Yeah. Um, it got options. It It had some people interested in it. And then there was always like, with some of the other stuff you were mentioning earlier, it was always something happened. And uh, and then a few years, I worked on a lot of other projects. I worked on um, different different things I wanted to do. And there was a point where I thought that I would try to make it myself. Mm. And so I did a full rewrite of it. And the original was more kind of a a slasher mm -hmm. with, you know, the undertones. And then the the later one became more of a psychological thriller, less body count, more mm -hmm. character exploration. And then. At some point, it dawned on me that I would not be able to raise the money on my own to really be truthful to that vision, it, mm -hmm. the location, the cast, the music it would need, all that stuff, while also like doing all the other stuff I have to do every day. So it, at that point, it became like, well, why not adapt into a book, which was like a parallel path. Like I'd been thinking of doing a book for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, again, including my wife, who's definitely the wiser of the two of us, was always saying, why don't you do a book? And I've been working on an adaptation of another script, which seems to be my process is write it as a script, make sure like the central conflict is strong, the spine is strong, mm -hmm. and then play jazz with it and flesh it out for all the other senses, uh, just kind of like punching out dimensions in, in the existing work. At some point, it struck me that this seemed like a better first novel than the other one. Mm hmm. And uh, and then a friend of ours who Sadie knows very well, Lily, she was the first one who kind of heard it and believed like, yes, this could work like and you could do it. As, like I said, I'm thinking of doing it like an epic poem because it always began a yo fade in as a script. And then people would say, is it a comedy? And I was like, no, that's just like in hip hop. And sometimes that's like the evoking of the muse or invoking of the muse. That was kind of the original seed. And uh, and yeah, and then it, it just really flowed. Adapting it was was fun. I still get ideas for it now. And I'm like, oh, crap, it's already published. So I just have like a running notes file of different little um, details that I would add. Do you think you'd ever do a sequel to this book with her story? Yeah, yeah, that even when it was in um, when it was making the rounds and had people attached and, and there was a producer shopping, they were like, oh, do you have an idea for a part two? And I was like, yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever write it. I kind of like the way it ends and leaving whatever questions there are open. But yeah, I do have a part two in my back pocket. So have you done any book readings at author signings that you've wrapped? No, no. I almost 
I almost did a piece of it at a uh, an underground hip hop event. I went back to Miami right after it came out and and went to an underground show, which is really kind of where the love for all that stuff was born. So it was like mm-hmm. it going home and uh, and they talked about it and and we did like a giveaway with some trivia and I ended up giving it to someone who had been close in their in their answers to the trivia question, but had not gotten it. But I had an extra copy on me and I thought they they'd been close enough that they deserved one. So I gave it to them. They turned out to be an MC and then they wrapped some stuff on stage and included it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Shout out to Evo. Yeah, I have not done it. I've done it for some friends. Like they've called me on it in person. I'll just like drop the first couple of stanzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, not not yet. We got to get you out there. Sadie can play in the background and you can rap and I'll do the tambourine. That'll make it so much easier for me <laughs> if it was the three of us on stage doing it. I have one thing very much in common with the lead is that I'm very stage shy. So I was in theater all through high school and all that. Uh, and whenever I'd have to perform, I'd rather be stage manager. When I'd get on stage, I would just full blush and sweat profusely. And the audience would think it was part of the performance. Mm. <laughs> it was really all the anxiety kicking in. So um, so it'll be something if I have to do it in front of a crowd. We are there to support you. We will get uh, Reckless Creative uh, Adidas tracksuits. And oh, yeah. we will just, you know, bounce around you while you're just reading this amazing book to the audience. Now so, I'm excited about it. I know, <laughs> I know. So maybe we should back up a little bit and talk about screenwriting. Looking back on the last decade, I was saying just to someone today who has left screenwriting and is now writing novels. And I, I was saying to him that I want screenwriters to like branch out and try something else, like I was saying before. But I feel like there's so many people who can't imagine doing anything else. Like this is their dream. This is what they want. And they're they're goddamn it, they're gonna stick to it. And I applaud that. I, you know, I think that's great. If, and you have to have that kind of passion, I think, to pursue this industry. But what has this whole like how old were you when you first started writing? screenplays and like what has this whole journey been like for you and then to feel this moment when your book is actually published i mean so many so few screenwriters they get so close they get option they get people attached they get right there but never get to see their name on the screen unless it's like indie or which is fine i mean that's a whole other beast but like holding your published book in your hand and like all, like when you look back like do you wish you could have said something to yourself like maybe try this earlier or along with not like giving up screenwriting but just like i don't know i'm rambling no, that's tremendous and and, and loaded yeah also, when did i first try to write a scene for a script uh i was probably like 10 or 11 years old and i was trying to do a beatles biopic and I was writing a scene during the Let It Be sessions, pretty much what we would see like in the Get Back documentary. I was trying to do that. <laughs> and I was totally wrong because I was giving Ringo all the best dialogue. So it was Which off. is natural. I mean, yes, he should. was my favorite. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so th- that was where it started. And then I started, uh, you know, and I had all the like the adolescent times and the graffiti that Sadie mentioned and, and a lot of kind of a 
a reckless semi-creative adolescence. <laughs> and at some point when I was like 15 or 16, thanks to like a really great theater teacher I had and a really great English teacher I had, uh, I got back into writing and screenwriting. So I was trying to write scripts when I was in high school and mm -hmm. still have some of the pages here in a filing cabinet. And then I wrote my first short, probably first semester of film school, like a real kind of a yeah. thing that we shot and then wrote a bunch of shorts that I wrote, directed, produced and edited in film school. And then the first feature I wrote was like probably maybe the last semester of film school. A friend uh, had a producer who was hiring him to direct an indie. He had a script that was only 35 pages long, but was supposed to be a feature. And he asked me to take a pass at rewriting it. And that was the first feature I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. So and I was probably like 22 at that time. And uh, and then that just kind of led like that, you know, the producer ended up running off and never actually paying us for the script, but the script existed. And then we wrote another one and that got out to someone in L.A. who said, you know, this is pretty good. You should move out to L.A., moved out and and at the airport uh, found out that a manager had read it and wanted to represent us. So it seemed like, oh, this is going to be easy. And I've got these other scripts in like the bag. They'll be buying them at LAX and then, you know, and then discovered that was not the case. Uh, That's not so how that, it works. Yeah. Believe it or not. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. So made all the rounds, did that, was in the writing team for several years, pitched, thought all these different big name directors that we know were at one point or another going to do these projects and none of them actually came to be. Uh, and then... We, the writing partnership kind of went sideways and we stopped collaborating. And then I found out a couple of them had been made in Argentina by my writing partner, oh. but my name had been taken off of them. Oh, so You can actually see a couple movies I wrote, even though one of them, the ending got changed, but they pretty much they're, they're the projects. So that happened. And then I had to kind of start. And what happens when you're in a writing team, that was advice I was told, but that I don't know if everyone knows is everyone assumes you have one shared brain. So the second you try to do anything on your own, you have to reprove yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that that was, again, kind of the ramping up of now I need new writing samples with only my name on them. Uh, and I started that and got new representation and started making the rounds again and got some assignments and kind of some got close and, and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and while that was happening, there were enough kind of close enough, but no cigars. Mm hmm that I wanted to find a way to get it to audiences. And it was always like, well, can I raise the money? And I don't want to ask people for money and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and my wife would say like, well, why don't you do the book? You love books. You're always, you know, you've talked about it before. Uh, and so I started working on that other book I mentioned years ago. And, and the one benefit, which I would suggest to any writer, any screenwriter is it just opens up how you flow and what you're willing to do and how you look at story because you're suddenly responsible for production design and mm -hmm. the lighting and wardrobe and all these things that we were told not to include in scripts, but that are good things to be able to conceptualize when you're really trying to, to feel like you have a full grasp of the story you're telling. Mm -hmm. So, so that helped. And actually then it, I would have finished it, but then more assignments came and bigger opportunities came. So the book got shelved. But I felt like I reached another level of what I could accomplish with my craft. 
and then that you know the roller coaster continued until we kind of catch up to what i was saying before like like sadie and i've talked before about our jobs and how we get to work with writers we get to interview writers we get to help people try to achieve their dream or you know help educate them as to whatever and like and you worked at the writer store and doing the same thing i mean i think it's it's so cool when you can be a writer and get find a job like that yeah thanks to dana han who was the person who worked with me at the brentano's bookstore in century city and knew that I wanted to work at the writer's store and got hired to work at the writer's store and stole me from Brentano's <laughs> and started that whole thing off. Uh, and it, yeah, it was, it was the best education I could get on the craft. Mm-hmm. It it helped us build kind of this community of writers, you know, Sadie included, you know, Eugenie included, and like a lot of our friends that would go in and we would just talk story every day and get to meet all the gurus uh, getting to know Sid Field before he passed away, getting to know Blake yeah. Snyder before he passed away, all the A-list writers that would come in and just talk to us, even at, right after they'd won Oscars, and to tell us how, like, right after winning the Oscars at the parties, people would just say, so what are you working on now? <laughs> and we'd be like, oh, that's what's on the other side of this accomplishment. Uh, Can so I just it, hug this statue for a little while? <laughs> no, time's up. Like, next, what are you done lately? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and ask and funny because you had mentioned the the idea of like what's it feel like to hold your book. I'd kind of had a little piece of it with the pocket screenwriting guide, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which had not been intended to originally be a book. It was going to be like steps in a software program that we were developing. Every yeah. page you completed, you got like a new tip to keep you going. And then our boss there liked it and turned it into a book. So I would get to sometimes sell my book to people mm-hmm. at the writer's store. Uh, but holding kill is a different thing. And the full circle is very satisfying to hold. I, your... I have that book somewhere. I'm looking around to see where <laughs> I have it. It's somewhere. really thin. So it's, it's, really, it's a little it. pocket guide. It's 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 the ebook now on the writer's store site. So if anyone's Sweet. ever interested, it's available there in all its glory. Wish it was still physical because that was a fun book to have. Um, yeah. But it's still there. Yeah, Thankfully. not to push people away from the writer store, but it's on eBay apparently for like a hundred something bucks a copy now. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what? I need a little extra money. Maybe I'll sell mine. I thought to say I have like a bunch in the <laughs> trunk. You should <laughs> should make a little a little uh, little bonus money, a little beer money, a little beer money, a little beer. That's money. what you need. This book, which is again so good, I'm glad that I got to read that this book here in Florida because now it all makes sense. This cover to everything that you mentioned in here, I'm like, Oh, I get it. So I feel like you needed, if you're going to visit Florida or like Orlando and go to the theme park with your family or something, bring this book with you, read it. And then you'll get a full, full immersive experience. But anyways, I'd love to talk about the structure of the story in this because it still feels like a very um, three-act structure that you would have in a screenplay, but it's all done in this epic poem and you've broken it down into these chapters, which are like song titles, which is, I mean, and you just go even deeper into just the music and filmmakers and everything. Um, But I would just love to hear about your process in writing that epic poem and keeping that story structure throughout, like that spine of it, and then knowing where those chapters would fall into place. 
Oh, wow. That's a great question. That's why uh, we have Sadie here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try to be flexible with structure and it's not meant to be a plug for the pocket guide, but the pocket guide really does distill how I approach structure and how uh, my good friend Anthony co-wrote pocket guide with me approach structure and and some of our other writer friends. And it's it's Bruce Lee's water concept. And it's it's trying to understand all the different styles, all the different potential frameworks, whether it's three act, four act, five act, eight sequences, 22 steps, whatever it might be, knowing all of those, and then trying to simplify the story to what is the emotional core what are you trying to accomplish by the end? What do you want the audience to feel at the last moment? And what is that simple emotional arc so that you're never too far from it, but you can play with it however the story kind of leads you there, really however your characters lead you there. So it's it, plot is always, what, yeah. and it's really more about character and emotion and then structure that that serves that journey. And then everything else kind of falls in place. So, uh, yeah, it it it's the structure has been in there for so long that I I can barely remember how it started off. It I just kind of knew that it would need this flow, and yeah, and it, but it was it was all really about where to take the character. It was about where the character would be in the last scene, and the last scene has never really changed in terms of where the character is at emotionally or what has happened to get them there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, within that playing with it, which I kind of it gave some details on in the article I wrote for Save the Cat uh, the month or so ago, where there's always substructures. So every act has a beginning, middle and end. Every sequence has a beginning, middle and end. Every scene does. And then you can start playing with these multiple levels. And you you can also you don't have to force them so it feels cookie cutter. You and you know this, especially as like a musician, Sadie, like. You go with the flow of it. Mm -hmm. And so you can rush certain things, you can delay certain things, and then it it just kind of ends up feeling very alive when you do that. And that's how kind of the, the overall structure fell into place. The idea of it being a playlist came from the idea of it being like a mixtape. So mm -hmm. as it will, mixtape has a playlist. So, you know, the chapters, the instead of being table of contents or whatever, it'll be playlist and then it'll have a list of tracks. How they got broken up was based on emotional movements. It was really just where does it feel like a unit of dramatic information uh, or the character's arc in that story in those steps has uh, been resolved and has triggered the next sequence, the next dilemma that they're going to have to navigate and that we're going to better understand who they are as a person as a result of how they navigate this conflict. Yeah, there's definitely like this really, you know, going back to the music because that is basically it's a it's this rap poem, but like there is that rhythm to it and how you just described breaking down even the sequences with a beginning, middle, and end. I kind of feel like 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 you say, you kind of like you feel it and you just kind of go with the flow with it, and that's kind of what you do with music. You're like, okay, now I'm gonna hold back here and let this note just kind of ring out and now I'm going to take you into the bridge and then you didn't expect that but it's still working in some way and then we come back and resolve it which I think you know you did so amazingly in this book but like you mentioned how you know with being a, an author you get to be multiple things or the production designer the costume designer everything I could still like 
imagine this <clears throat> club that's like this decrepit, de- 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 you know, warehouse that they're all hanging out at and just like them under the theater stage and this monster that's lurking there. And just like, I don't know, like, I don't know, there's something like you brought out in it where it's like you kind of like did like that taste of like rusted metal in your mouth, just like li- living in this space. But what's so cool also with that is just you are really painting a very visual picture too, though, like in the book, like you're very like specific in how everything's laid out and just in terms of your spacing and what, you know, what orphans stay and what don't and, and, um, and just how the reader is actually ingesting these words. Um, can you talk about that? Just like how you made sure to like stay true to your own vision through the written word. Staying true to the vision really it's a lot of that stuff I learned from our mentor that say, you know, Sadie you've worked with him a lot too, Andy Gerdot and, and his approach to the story, which he calls the Z and which ties to this stuff about the simple emotional arc that we've been talking mm-hmm. about. So really remembering and almost imagining him kind of chewing me out. If I tried to get too fancy or got off the spine, kept me on track. Uh, so it was like, all right, don't deviate, but wherever it feels like there could be more flavor here or we could delve deeper into the internal monologue that you can't do in the script and kind of really get a sense of what's going on in someone's head. That fueled a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And then the the rhythm comes from Afro-Cuban jazz. The, two of my older brothers were jazz musicians and they were both percussionists. And they would practice every day. They were much older than me or, you know, 14 and 20 years older than me. And so when I was growing up, they would be doing jam sessions every day in our house in the afternoon. And they'd be playing this great classic jazz, like on vinyl, and they'd be drumming and they'd be playing the congas and they'd be playing timbales. And they would be grinding through this stuff for hours over hours over hours trying to perfect it. And and that rhythm, which is the clave, which is the kind of the Cuban you know, really African to Cuba, to the New Orleans and the States and kind of part of the birth of blues and jazz and all that, that twos and threes and threes and twos, that rhythm was always something I aspired to evoke on the page since I started writing. And and the more I write, the more I try to really be true to that rhythm. So that was kind of where that flow came from. And then with the hip hop acid, but hip hop's all part of this family tree. So it's really organic to it. And then the the formatting, you know, I love format. Yeah, As a screenwriter, like I find the screenplay page sexy. <laughs> I love to look at them. They have like Coke bottle figures, you know, with the dialogue kind of moving in <laughs> and all that. Love the different ways writers approach it, what styles they apply when they don't apply stuff, how they lay it out when stuff is stacked like Alien or Wally. Or, or even sometimes when they go on, you know, long, long flows like Eric Roth will do with ellipses at, ellipses at the end. Or, you know, how John Logan will stagger it and use the white space and the space between the notes the same way that, say, Miles Davis or Monk mm. would space mm-hmm. between the notes. Uh, and the reward of the delay, you know, once we come back to whatever is promised but hasn't been delivered. So that was always part of it. You know, my love of final draft and formatting. Uh, fed into it and it was like oh finally like all my scripts I feel like if you look at them I always obsess about this stuff but in a script typically no one gives a crap it's like (laughs) the action lines are like the least important to most readers 
you know, everyone focuses on the dialogue overall. And when you see it, you don't know necessarily, oh, well, the writer really like made a nice couplet there at the end of that. <laughs> uh, you know, or look at how they use that punctuation mark instead of the other. So this was finally an opportunity to be like, all right, I'm going to put this thing that I love that I've been trying to improve at the whole time. I'm going to really center that, you know, pun intended, and try to just draw focus to it uh, and make it part of the emotional experience for a reader um so that that's where it came because normally yeah, i would never leave orphans or widows like i'm always trying to hunt them down but in this case <laughs> there were there were opportunities to use them for emotional value that's your next thriller hunting down the orphan <laughs> nice. i'm gonna write down that title <laughs> when you write in another medium like like i wrote a novel that i never even tried to publish it was almost like my practice novel like just to see like what that felt like and all that like what did you learn about screenwriting from writing this? Like, does it, did it inform you in anything in the screenwriting space that now when you go back, cause you're not giving up screenwriting, you're still screenwriting. He's, sh he's shaking his head. No, I'm not giving up. And he's nodding. I, I, I yes, I'm still screenwriting. <laughs> this is audio, Mario. Help me out here. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. It's both. It's both because it seems it's like my process is in part to write it as a script first and adapt it as a book. Mm -hmm. One part's just kind of the flow of it. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm working on something. Plus I have a few that I was tinkering with before the book came out. So it's a bunch of stuff that's in script format that I think will eventually be books if I have my way. What I learned part of it is this is something like I saw Jordan Peele say somewhere, which was follow the fun. Mm -hmm. And it's that it's it's not that writing is easy. A lot of times it's incredibly difficult, but that you should always it's your party. That's a Ray Bradbury part. It's like so you should enjoy it. What you get out of the book is a sense of freedom where it's like, well, I don't have to worry about, oh, some reader isn't going to get this part or the the tonal shifts are going to bump someone. And and sometimes I think that creates an uh, an editor in the in the screenwriter's head of mm -hmm. this will never get through the gauntlet. And I think that that ends up causing us to play it safe sometimes. Mm -hmm. And what doing it with the book where it's like that all those concerns are kind of out the window. Sing. That is something that I want to try to even better apply to scripts going forward, mm -hmm. not necessarily making them where they're no longer scripts mm -hmm. but but really making sure that i'm engaged by it as much as possible and then i'm not holding back because i fear that it might not come across the way i would hope mm -hmm. and instead having more confidence in the lunacy of it all the way that so many of the stories that we love in whatever medium or whatever craft reach out to us in part because of those quirks or those imperfections that that make it perfect mm -hmm. i'm curious mario say that this movie got made you're you're you know the scripts because of this book you get some producers like where's the script and you're like oh i have it right here because i'm prepared Ta -da! um and you were to get it made <laughs> dead or alive who would be your dream team to direct it star in it even maybe produce it edit i mean i know you're like a super film film uh, buff nerd that you go down to like who your dp is going to be to production design to sound design so just like spitball 
People that are alive, alive, right? Not people we're like resurrecting or pulling out of retirement. Because I'm like, Dee Dee Allen as an editor. Dead or alive. She was amazing. Oh, goodness. All right. I'll try to, I'll try my best to keep it alive. The, when, when (laughs) it was. Just in case they're listening. (laughs) Yeah. But when it was getting shopped and they would ask like, who do you, who do you see for the lead and who, who, you know, what people do you want for the music? And this, Mm -hmm. this is going back like Jeannie, remember what, like when we were at Austin. So, so a while back, but. I I dreamed of Janelle Monae mm. starring in mm. it, and and I I thought the music would be like her collaborating with Kendrick Lamar, and that yeah. was the vision going back all these years. Uh, that's what I kind of hoped for. The, a lot of like my friends that have read it said like you would have to direct this because no one else will get like the flow just like you. But the person who I wanted to direct it and who was in was involved in some of these conversations a few years back was my friend Brian Barber, the music mm-hmm. video director who did a lot of the great outcast videos and other videos. They did like Hey Ya and, and stuff that people know. And he did Idlewild at, at Universal and HBO Films, the outcast movie, which I, I always thought was an underappreciated work and gave a, a shout out in the book. And I yeah, I always thought like he had the visual sense and, and he has that internal meter for mm-hmm. it where he would understand the rhythm and then you know the dps who knows maybe you know bob richardson or something like that someone it's someone with like you know some bright spots mm-hmm. some really hot spots and and a lot of um chiaroscuro and then uh and then editor thelma is goddess no one's better than her she's she's a writer um yeah. so yeah her yeah. And then, I don't know, you know, Saul Bass for the credit sequence. We like resuscitate the corpse. <laughs> Did y'all hear I, that? Because <laughs> we're bringing him back from the dead. I feel like, you know, Janelle Monet, if you are listening, I assume she's an avid listener. Uh, there is still a very great role for her in this, which is the sister. I feel like I know that she's a little bit older now than, you know, almost 10 years ago to play the teenager. But it's a pretty good role. So yeah. economics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the character economics. Okay, so I want to ask a question. Think for a moment. I want to try to traditional publish or did you immediately think they are not going to get this? Both in almost the same instant. Everyone <laughs> like we, you know, we've been in a writer's group for a long time. Sadie's been a part of it for for a lot of it. And, it, and I would bring in the pages and everyone was like, this is really good. You should try to get it published. And, and, or, you know, I know big agents in the publishing industry, I'll hook you up, like send it to me when you're ready. And, and I did a lot of research on all that. And it felt like it was the same as the film industry, but Mm -hmm. just the publishing industry. And I was like, I don't want to go through that ride again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the exact reason I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And so, and and when I started writing scripts, I thought I would be an indie pr- producer. I thought I would be an indie filmmaker. I just kind of had some opportunities in Hollywood and then mm-hmm. followed them. And but that wasn't my original intent. So this felt like an opportunity to to kind of cut everything out of the process and make sure mm-hmm. that I just wanted to connect with an audience. Yeah, that was really the big thing. Yeah, and the cover design. Ah. That Sadie is the root of that. Sadie tweeted about an artist that she'd come across it who I guess she liked his work. Mm-hmm. And I happened to see her tweet many years ago and fell in love with this artist's work. 
just completely like I and daydreamed about one day being able to approach him. Uh, his name's Fernando Reza, and uh, and to ask him if he'd be willing to do the the cover of the book, and uh, and then finally built up the courage when the book was ready to go to reach out, and he was very kind and took on the gig, and and we worked together along with also getting feedback from the writers in the crew on like, all right, what's this version of the cover look like? All right, what do you think? How's it coming together until we got what we had? But I love his work so much that I bought some of it even before hiring him. So like this <laughs> poster behind me is his, the 2001 is his. And I was telling Sadie, I have the shining rolled up in a corner here that I need to get a frame for. So I just oh, love his cool. work. Yeah. Yeah. It, one of the pleasures of doing it was commissioning him to do the yeah. cover. I was going to just ask, like, what is that process like in creating a design for your book cover with that, you know, with him, um, knowing that he's very stylized, but like, what are you giving him as a resource? Is he reading pages from the book or you're just like, here, this is what I see. Eyes like a crocodile or, or a gator with a tape or, you know, in murky water yeah i mean that's what like, what sadie sees all the time that's yeah that's, a, that's out the window right now he he asked uh, he asked what i had in mind i said the one motif i have in mind is a uh cassette tape mm -hmm. that's been beat to hell beyond that i had been collecting covers and different artwork that i just thought might be interesting for a while and i just had a folder of this stuff and i thought i'm gonna overwhelm him if i send everything so let me break it down to like <laughs> 10 examples you know uh, one that had kind of a duality to it so there was an image at the top and then the bottom part was kind of a mirror image but had a different tonal implication and i sent him that kind of stuff and i sent him a couple of pieces that he'd done that i'd really liked as examples of some of the work he, that i admired from him and so it was kind of a mix of that stuff and then it was a lot of back and forth um he did read he did read pages and he incorporated some of that, like the Gators were his idea. They're in the story and they're, you know, important to the story, but that was something he brought to it. Uh, and yeah. And originally he, they, the first versions had actually one of the other characters on the cover. So putting the mm. her on the cover was something that came out of our collaboration. And then the colors in part were thanks to Anthony, who was like, obviously like, this is your Miami story or one of your Miami stories. Like, you should do some some Miami colors. And I think he said, like, uh, what is it? Spring breakers. He's like, like some spring breakers <laughs> colors. Was like, he was he was absolutely yeah. right. Anthony. Thank we you, have to have Anthony. him on. Yeah, we have to have him on one day. Yeah. And talking some shit. Uh yeah. <laughs> um, and with cover design, like if you were with traditional publishing, a lot of times authors don't even have a say, like you at all. And let you know, smaller presses you do, but if it was like one of the big five, I mean, forget it. You have to just, they know what they're doing. They know what sells on the shelf. And um, so it's always great to see an indie publisher really take that time to do this thoughtful cover because it's so important. I mean, you do judge a book by the cover. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. a joke. Meanwhile, no, there's a fly walking say, there's on a, my microphone. There's, a, there's and like a cockroach on your microphone. I thought that was the Mike Pence fly. It is not a cockroach, <laughs> but it's It's a joining the fly. conversation. It has a lot to say. It's a big fan of Mario's. Well, I just killed it. So. Oh, darn. <laughs> I'm down. 
one down. This is a murder mystery, right? <laughs> it's not a mystery. You just said that you killed it. That's right. Who killed you might Jimmy's get away with it. I think I might. You, you, you would get away with it. I think I'm totally getting away with it. Yeah. So the time and when that, you, you can't control that creative process once you send it out. Or keep a fly alive when it's missing. <laughs> you know what? When I do my book, I'm going to insist that they put a fly in the cover <laughs> somewhere. Just somewhere on the cover, stick a little fly. Yeah. It's People will keep trying to knock it off. Put it on like the edge. They'll keep trying <laughs> yeah. to pick it off. Oh, God. Genius. I know. I know. So like, okay, so what's next for you? Like, what are you doing next? No, oh, that's, that's a great question. Besides I, I, dinner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides dinner. Um, I mean, part of it is always like juggling all this stuff with the, with like the day gig, which is being yeah. product manager for final draft and, and always trying to kind of craft and improve our product there. That's a big part of it. And where a lot of like the creative energy goes, cause I can get into flow states doing a lot of the work we do there. Like I, like yeah. I can writing, uh, writing wise, it's, I started Playing with like, there's always like a, like a dozen or so ideas that over the years kind of get tweaked or improved or they've been sitting kind of stewing in their juices and, you know, new, whatever was missing that next piece comes or who's the lead character, what's the location for this, what's the best tone for this, uh, all of that. So I started just taking them all for a spin and following the fun and seeing, all right, which one is going to win the battle to to take that kind of passion and the energy and the sacrifice it takes to finish anything mm-hmm. which is going to win so i treat them like i'm a studio or now like i'm the the publishing house and there are these candidates which one's going to come next which deserves the allocation of resources and time that it, it requires to really put this out to market and all the steps yeah that's probably narrowed down to like 3 now and they're they're battling it out so i'm working on different different stuff pretty much every day kind of cycling through those three whichever one says oh no no that thing that had blocked you here that you were about to put me away no this is the fix oh all right well then Mm -hmm. it gets the next chunk of of story goes there and then oh well i guess you're out of the picture you know because this other one came oh no wait wait this is the villain for that one oh wait (laughs) oh that's that's a good villain all right i'm gonna have to go follow that villain for a while and and so kind of playing with those. Okay, so like you're working a full-time job. Sadie and I work full-time jobs and then so <laughs> how do you find the time to write and what's your what's your process? Like what's your routine? I know in LA you spend a lot of time in the car. Like so that's another obstacle. That's another thing. That's like a part-time job. <laughs> Just being in the car. So how oh, do you yeah. find the time and, and dedicate that to be consistently creating? It's one of the hardest parts. Mm-hmm. I think it's a challenge for all the writers I know. Uh, it, it Yeah, it's one of the things that makes me proud is holding the book. It's like, oh, holy crap. This mm-hmm. is like a lot of like life went into that. The, the one upside is that we work remotely. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do the commute anymore. Priceless. A lot of it was about just always coming back to it and keeping the flow going. So Mm -hmm. a big part was not having gaps in time. Like Mm -hmm. the more days you do in a row, the easier it becomes. The moment that there is a gap, it's a little harder to recalibrate and to kind of get back into the space that you were in. And the longer that gap is, the harder it is. You almost have to kind of find a new emotional in 
and then hope that that kind of works with what was there and what you need to do next. Uh, and then process wise, like I, I would do it on spreadsheets. I would track my writing stats. I would work in micro sprints, which is still what I try to do. Mm-hmm. And which we built a sprint timer in the final draft 12 in part because of this. So 25 minutes, you start no Googling other than if it's a research specific sprint, no social media, no inbox checking, play music, 25 minutes, probably one to three things jotted down that I want to try to accomplish and then go at it. Typically get so hooked that I reset after 25, do another 25 you know, take a break at some point, jot down the stats, how many pages, how much time spent, what was done, was it drafting, was it rewriting, was it polishing, all that kind of stuff to have them to look back on later and look at trends and streaks to try to improve my workflow. And, uh, and but a lot of it is just about keeping the rhythm. Like if, if you know, when, it, when, when I would get hired for assignments, I was working full-time at the writer's store mm-hmm. and I would use vacation time. And so I would take like five days of vacation and I'd know if I start like Friday after work, I have the weekend, then I have the five days, then I have the other weekend. So now I've got nine days to write. The script's going to be like 110 when I turn it in. The rough draft can be 190 because it'll balloon up as I get notes and need to do things to 110. So, all right, I need to do 90 pages in nine days. So I need to do 10 pages a day. But if I write more than 10 pages in the first couple of days, it'll be much easier. So, all right, try mm-hmm. to front load 15 pages to 20 a day in the first couple of days and embrace the fact it's all going to be shit and you're going to have to rewrite it, but just like let it flow. And then a lot of times I would use uh, dictation software. I wouldn't even format it at first. I would just talk through it. I would close my eyes and just try to visualize like what the scene is or what the flow is and then do the conversations that way, which would help a lot with dialogue. And just getting the dialogue to sound natural because you won't say it out loud typically if it does if it's that clunky. Using a lot of like dictation during sprints and then using the reformat tool and cleaning up the formatting after. But I would mm. just kind of dump it all in there. And that's how I would write. And then the more the more drafts you do, the more rewrites you do, the sooner you do them, the stronger it gets. Yeah. That's what I found. I gotta show you this. This is a clock that I got from Amazon. It's like great dude. Have you ever seen this one? You no. like turn it and then it just starts like 60 seconds. Like however, whatever the number is on the top. So you could do a 45 sprint, uh, you know, a 30 minute sprint uh, and then back to the clock. That's awesome. It, I'll put the link to this in the show notes. It's what shape is that? <laughs> one, two, it's not an octagon. It's six sides. It, What's the six it, sides? Is it sexagon? Is that a thing? It's, Sexy clock. <laughs> sexy clock. <laughs> it's the sexy clock. I'm going to put link a link to that clock because it's somebody, I found that clock because on a script chat one night, somebody was um, talked about it. We were talking about resources that you use and he's like, tweets out the link to it. He's like, this clock, I'm telling you, you need this clock. I was like, okay, I got the sexy clock. So that thing's awesome. So now that you're self-publishing, that's like a business in and of itself, like book marketing and doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, which I think is so interesting because you wanted, you started off wanting to do indie filmmaking and now you're doing indie publishing, which is a lot cheaper than doing indie filmmaking. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's like, how are you liking it? Are you, do you think you'll revisit the dream of indie filmmaking? I hope so. I, 
I can't say for sure because there's nothing on the horizon right now. There's there's a short I wrote that that I considered going back home and making with some of the the crew. Um, maybe that'll happen, or maybe something else will happen. But the indie indie publishing is really what I'm focusing on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in part it's a pain in the ass because yeah. it's a whole other part of work that it, I really want to be writing and cranking out stories and do and checking off ideas that have been walking with me sometimes for you know five, 10, 15 years that I mm-hmm. haven't gotten right yet or longer in some cases. And so I'd rather be channeling all my energies to there. But mm-hmm. I also would like the book, say, to make enough money where it can fund the next one, just yep. like if it were a film. That requires a lot of marketing. And it was a lot mm-hmm. of kind of learning how to do this stuff and calibrate it, which is a whole other component to the work beyond like the cover or the interior formatting and choosing the fonts and all that kind of stuff. And I, I had a beat board and I just put like everything I thought I would need to do and move them through like a Kanban board of like mm-hmm. in progress, being QA, done. And still, there's always like new things that would sprout up. I created so many accounts mm-hmm. just for everything. Uh, and, but the marketing part, like learning about that and now tracking the metrics and what's the conversion rate and how much does it cost um, to sell a copy? And does it cost more to sell a copy than, you know, the copy is going to bring back? Mm-hmm. And what are the best marketing channels? And there's not like a perfect path. There's not a one size fits all. Uh, there, there are writers I know of that have big publishers and have larger platforms than I have and have endorsements from amazing people and they can't move the copies they would love to move. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it becomes about just trying to find the best you can do with what you have. Uh, and But yeah, I've learned a lot about about that, but even like getting the reviews up, like there's this whole thing on Amazon where the number of reviews you have impacts the likelihood that someone that lands on your page is going to buy the product. And so yeah. if you're under, say, you know, even say like in a book, like under 20 reviews, it becomes very hard to convert the sales. So you could still mm-hmm. get them, but it's just, we look at the page. We don't even sometimes realize that we're checking that star rating and that yeah. number next to it. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of learning. And pre-sales and all that kind of stuff. I mean, SEO that you know very yes, well. Both yes. of you know very well. All of that comes into play. And and also mm-hmm. choosing the right category so that you can say you're number one in the cat, some obscure right. thing like unicorns that wear belts and only fly on Wednesdays. <laughs> that's my <laughs> book category. I'm number one. But that's what people do. They find these really obscure categories so that they can then say they're number one, a best-selling author, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. Would you ever? There are hacks okay. where they'll pick different countries, so they'll do what you're talking about, and then they'll also target that in Canada, and then they'll mm-hmm. say international bestseller. Oh, huh. tricky, tricky. Would you Smart. ever want to become a publisher for other people's books? Like, say, other screenwriters said to you, Ariel, I'd like to do what you did. Will you be my publisher? Maybe one day, but it is, it is, it's a full-time gig or at least a side hustle, like a, a, mm-hmm. a time consuming side hustle enough where it's like my least favorite part of being a publisher right now is doing it for my own books that I love mm-hmm. and I want to get in the hands of as many people as possible. And it, it, yeah, it's still its own thing. Cause even when you get into marketing, it's like, well, are you doing, you know, what kind of campaigns are you running? And are they like 
the you know the the different kinds of brand campaigns that you can do whether you're targeting categories whether you're targeting different actual books or authors in the keywords uh it it's becomes so all encompassing mm. that uh i i've i would i would love to help writers do it but i i would prefer at least for now to share with writers whatever i've learned through yeah. it and then kind of you know lead them to water you know, again, the thing that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to creatives, there's a business side of what we do. And um, even if you're repped, even if you have a lit agent, even if you were published by the big five, you still have to do a lot of the marketing. You still have to do a lot more than back in the day. And mm-hmm. and in, even as a screenwriter, go on an open writing assignment. You got to come up with the idea. You got to go to the meeting, shake the hands, like a lot of schmoozing. It's not just sitting down and writing. Um, what's your favorite favorite part about that business side of it? Because we know you love the writing part and getting in the groove. And what's your least favorite part about the business side of it? My favorite part of the business side is the control, creative control mm-hmm. to everything. Like I wanted the chapter headings to be in a graffiti font. Mm-hmm. I wanted the text to be uh, in Garamond, like it was really specific. I didn't want to debate it with anyone. I knew that that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Being able to like not for once have to get permission for stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to take it out in the world. The manager I had when I first came out with the idea, I pitched it to her, and I remember we were like having dinner, and she stopped me mid pitch and said, "Never write that." So just like you know, shout out to her because she motivated me to do it. But. Um, <laughs> But so the control part is my favorite and Mm -hmm. my least favorite is anything where I have to ask for help. Mm. And that that may be more my own issue than anything else. But I just I I love to share it with everyone, but I never Mm -hmm. want to kind of impose on anyone to like, you know, fundraise for it. Not that I'm against that stuff because I've I've donated to a bunch of things, but just I, I, I really wish I could do the whole thing and then like share it out to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And stockpile them. Yeah. Well, you can always ask us for help. We'll help you, Mario. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm honored even to be here to be to we'll be, on be there with our track suits ready to hype you up. Bass tambourine. That's right. What color are these track suits? We need to talk about this. Mario. Well, Mario gets to choose. Are they like the nylon-y or the or like the parachute material. We're doing like polyester. 1980s, 1970s. Yeah, it's gonna, it's John Travolta. Smell. Yeah, it's going to yeah. smell really bad. You're going to be itchy. You're going to be hot. Sounds like a band it. uniform. Uh-huh. <laughs> it could work. It could work. It could. Do we have a name for this band? We're going to find one. The writer's store guy. <laughs> DWS. That's right. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> That's fine. We'll keep riffing. I know. Well, I'm really excited. And I think this is great. And everybody needs to go buy Mario's book. Yeah. So where support. can we find you? Where can we find your book? How can we support you? Give you money? A- we're asking books? you to do the most uncomfortable thing. The thing you hate the most. Ask for help. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do it. Wow. You can find it uh, at Worldwide. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's Barnes and Noble. It's at Walmart, apparently. It's really? A, yeah. 
it's everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's all the different things you do, you know, distribution, yeah. through Amazon, which gets you worldwide and distribution through Amazon, which gets you Amazon. Uh, so it's that was another part of the work. Yeah. Uh, so you can get it anywhere. But Amazon would be the place probably that most people land on. And because I want to collect those reviews, I would really appreciate those reviews. You know, whatever the honest feedback is. Yeah. And then you can find me, you know, Instagram, but Mario Moreno 37, Twitter, although I never check it. I think Mario O Moreno 37. Uh, the Pocket Guide has Facebook page, which is Pocket Screenwriting Guide. What else? Yeah, I'll put all this in the show notes too. If you're listening, scroll down, start clicking. Start clicking, buy the book, read it, and then leave a review because we good or bad. You the number one best selling author in the unicorn category <laughs> in Sweden. In Sweden. The unicorn category in Sweden. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know what? Thank you. I'm going to buy all those unicorn books. <laughs> and you should. I should. I need some. But it sounds like we all need this because I I love the idea that it's just so different. It's, you know, the rapping thing. And I, I want to know if you're performing anywhere, not just this book, but anywhere. I would like to see you rap. That's like now on my bucket list. Next time we see each other in person, mm-hmm. I rap for you. Ooh, I got to get to L.A. That's I'm coming back to L.A. just for that. Uh, I will. I will do it for both of you. Yeah. Better after a drink, but I will. I will do it. (laughs) You know what? I will ply you with all the drinks. Yeah. Until you say I'm ready to rap. That's right. We used to do it where like when we when I was a teenager hanging out with, with the crew, like they uh we would have to freestyle. And so it would just be like going around the circle and what we would call the cipher. And then if you didn't do it, it would be bad news for you if you did not flow when when it was your turn. So that kind of um, burnt it into me. That's awesome. That's that's pretty cool, actually. It is. And I think for your next book, I think your book cover for your next book should be your graffiti art. That could be cool. That's very tempting. Yeah. Why not? I, I it. It'll yeah, save you money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, the first book, every book, you got to do the cover right. But I have confidence that that graffiti cover could be pretty cool. Pretty cool. I have yeah. faith, too. Yeah. 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 It was so cool talking to you. And I'm yeah. just like, I just want to say congrats again on this awesome book. It's just really cool to see when writers take a chance on themselves and like mm-hmm. follow their voice and their instincts, even when your manager or whoever else is like don't do this and then you get to like very much so prove them wrong um and you just went for it and it's if you know mario this book is mario like he everyone is, knows mario book. yeah <laughs> and it's just so cool just to like dive even deeper into your head and like just cheering you on while you read it so thank you for saying that yeah the top three satisfying creative experiences that come to mind are like showing up on set to shoot a pilot that I wrote and like seeing crazy stuff I wrote at like four in the morning and suddenly it's like built out getting into the writer's guild and getting like the the certificate and all that and then hearing the feedback from everyone and just Mm. every single person who's read it everyone that sent me a picture of their receipt or the their the book on their lap um or or 
or you know send any sort of positive vibes toward it really it's 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 probably been the most satisfying of anything i've done so thank you thank you both so much Mm, that's awesome we're really happy for you and proud to call you friend that's but sadie which means sadie's not gonna buy your book for you (laughs) i won't buy it for you yeah now mario is like my brother from another mother but we might have the same mother but we don't know it's gonna be a great twist when we're 80 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to say? Throw it in. Okay. Shout out to Lane's Gnome Rios. Shout out to everyone in Miami. Shout out to Andy's Writers Group and Michelle and everyone at Brian and Henry and Kay uh, and everyone from our crew uh, and ev- ev- you know every writer who's who whoever trusted me to help them with their stories or who helped me with mine that. I can't thank everyone enough. Well, you should save that and remember that because when you win an Oscar, that's your speech. Your speech I'll is get this, the transcript book. Of this, it's this just... book, actually. That's right. <laughs> and bring your book and then fling it in the audience and try not to hit somebody in the head. But something, but or do or do because they'll love yeah. it. Maybe the manager EKA crew. Last one. EKA crew. Miami. Evil known artists. Black. Plet. Tank. All of the graffiti writers, all of the boys. Yeah, everyone in the family. Everyone in the family. Everybody. What family? (laughs) Everyone. Mario's making the move. Moving the arms around. Moving the arms. (laughs) Full beans. I think it's a wrap. No pun intended. (laughs) I mean, that was pretty punny. No, that's great landing. (laughs) reckless creatives is a pipeline artist original podcast like subscribe and follow us on social media at pipeline artists and find more info at pipelineartists.com slash listen until next time stay reckless